it was a very useful process. So we get both the technical scientific involvement right at the beginning, and you had stakeholder, key stakeholders involved early and throughout the whole process. And it became very effective to develop this product, you know, sustainability standard. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I hope you're doing well and having a great week. If you've been listening lately, you know we've been going through environmental and sustainability and different issues like that. And we've had a special guest, Jim Fava, who's really done a lot of work and worked with a lot of companies in this area. And we, we began with Jim talking about his 10 golden rules. And then last time we covered a couple of them in different aspects. But today we're going to kind of go back to what is life cycle assessment? Actually, what does product life cycle assessment mean? We'll talk about that and, and Jim will take us through a, a few more of his golden rules. So Jim, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Paul. Pleased to be here again. And it's a topic that I certainly have a, a lot of interest in. And I think they, as I'm talking to a lot of the folks in the sustainability and you know, the sort of the innovation product managers that right now sustainability, environmental, climate change are all very front and center uh, in their innovation, you know, conversation. So it's a good opportunity for us to, to really build further on that. So what I want to do today is really talk about what is life cycle assessment, a little bit on its applications, try to clarify what LCA is, maybe some of its limitations and why is it important. And we're going to do that by really focusing on three golden rules. The first one is, is first is actually our first golden rule, is there is no green products or packaging, only greener or more sustainable. And we'll describe that and as we go through. The second one is LCA provides an understanding of impacts over the entire life cycle. So we'll talk a little bit about what do you mean by impacts? What do we mean by, you know, life cycle? And so we, what do we mean by LCA? So that would be our golden rule number two. And golden rule number three, as it relates to sort of this sort of what is LCA and why is it important, is that LCA information is essential, but not sufficient. Too many times people have said to me, well, I do what LCA, then I don't have to do anything else related to environment. And I say, no, there's LCA provides good information and it's essential, but it's not sufficient. I have an example explaining that. So this is what we want to do is go through those three golden rules, really talk about what is life cycle assessment. And I think a little bit we talk about, you know, why should I care? We're trying to get to the individual the product managers or to people in the innovation and engineers to realize that sustainability product focus is a very key part of the whole enterprise and business of an organization. So the first golden rule is what we call, there is no green products, only greener or more sustainable products. Ally Anuzi, who is now current vice president of sustainability for SD Lauder, he and I work together, work together now, but for many years when he was, senior manager at Johnson & Johnson, and he ran a lot of their product sustainability programs, and he's written a couple of books, and he's now, he and I are collaborating on the third edition, but the book is entitled Greener Products, The Making and Marketing 
of sustainable brands. Um, and in that book, and I Golden Rule number one is really 100%, you know, credited to Al because he's the one that really is promoting it very strongly. When he says, he says, he when I speak about greener products, there are two things he says I usually say. There's no such thing as a green product. And second, what good is a greener product if no one knows about it? So it's a marketing, you know, perspective. So there's no such thing as a green product. And then how do you basically make sure that you communicate what's, what's uh, green about it or greener about it? And so a lot of the assumptions that he made and how he can make that assertion is that LCA is really tool that he was able to use and he and I worked with that really were able to look at impacts from the raw materials acquisition to transportation, manufacturing, customer and consumer use, and then what happens at the at the end of life. And so in this way, he basically says every product has some kind of an impact, uh, and which is why he uses the term greener. And then every product can be improved in some way. And so that's what we, this is really you know, all about. And sort of an example that I've used for many times, but I think it's very appropriate is example that Coca-Cola did years and years ago, even before the modern day LCA really surfaced and has really become a tool like it is today, is that they started looking at the material used in their packaging or their container for their, their beverages, for the sodas. And they recognized and sort of acknowledged that all the materials had some kind of impact. And each, they challenged the, the manufacturers of the, the beverage and the providing of the beverage containers. And what they challenged them to do is really, can, can you come up and make your, make your package greener? And it was interesting because the aluminum industry came back at that point. It was just 100% virgin aluminum going into the aluminum can. And what they ended up doing, they ended up starting a recycling program, taking the used beverage container, bringing it back, recycling it and reusing it to make a new beverage container, which reduced the energy consumption by 90% because it was very high energy consumption in the early processing of the bauxite. And that really created an opportunity where aluminum then started being used a lot in the, in the beverage containers, particularly for Coca-Cola. But it also created an opportunity for, because aluminum was at value, and it actually helped sort of jumpstart the whole recycling industry. So to me, that was a good example where a clump company realized that, you know, all materials have some kind of impact, and they really challenged their suppliers to really come up with action to basically make their material and then the Coca-Cola buying that material for their beverage container to be greener. So I think that's a good example of when we talk about there's no green products, but they're only greener products. I think that's that's really, really great example, Jim. And, you know, I'm thinking specifically on the Coca-Cola side, because I don't know what it was like in the early days when they were starting that, but they definitely have a company that makes the aluminum They have in their supply chain. They have a company that takes that aluminum and forms the can, right? And so... You always hear about companies having to, they don't have to do it, they have to do it with their supply chain. And Coca-Cola clearly did that, or maybe they created that supply chain, but it's it's a neat story. Yeah, no, I think sort of interesting, my 
in my storytelling, I sort of go, went back between the North American and the European version of aluminum and <laughs> aluminum. We, yeah. we had done work with the with Alcoa, which is a North American company, and they called it aluminum. Then we did work with the International Aluminium Association over in Europe, and they called it aluminium. So I, I sort of go back and forth on that. But uh, So um, we move on to the second golden rule. Golden rule two was LCA provides understanding of impacts over the entire, you know, life cycle. And so, you know, when you think about that, you know, so what do we mean by LCA. Secondly, when they talk about the entire life cycle, what are those life cycle stages? And the third sort of term in there is impacts. And so what do we mean by, you know, by by impacts? And so I'd like to just sort of walk through that a little bit to sort of give you some, you know, perspectives on it. But when you think about LCA, LCA is a process to really identify the hotspots or the environmental issues associated with the with the the product, and those environmental and social issues can be occur at various stages of their life cycle, from the raw materials acquisition, you know, through the uh, the, the end of life kind of thing. And so, it's been the life cycle has been a tool that's really been applied for for many years. You know, where you start looking at you know what are those life cycle impacts which ones are maybe more important, which they call hotspot analysis. And then also to really make sure that you don't have burden shifting, you know, you know, sort of identify and reduce impacts in one area, but create an impact in another area. And sort of an example of that, <laughs> the situation where it's a little comic thing that we've been using for, for a long time, but it's a situation where a guy comes and sees a big pile of dirt and he realizes, well, how do I get rid of the dirt? So he digs a, a hole, puts the, the dirt in the hole, and then he realizes that um, and he turns around. Well, he saw that problem because now that dirt's gone. But then he looked around and now there's another pile of dirt. <laughs> so it's a simple little example, but it does illustrate by, by solving one problem you've created another. And so this is the whole idea of what life cycle assessment, the value of life cycle assessment is really getting to the point that you're not solving one problem by creating, you know, another. So that's really one of the values of what life cycle assessment, you know, can, can do. So what are the life cycle stages? When LCA was first started, a lot of it, we didn't really have the, the recycling and infrastructure in place. So it really went from a you know, the, the raw material, the mining operation or the chemical processing for what are the, you know, the, the initial materials were through some kind of a primary production of that, through transportation, through the manufacture, through the use, uh, and then some kind of end-of-life management. And so it's more of a linear, you know, cradle-to-cradle, I'm sorry, cradle-to-grave, you know, perspective, very linear. Then as we started looking at recycling, and now we're starting with the whole circular economy area. You really see life cycle state, you know, stages as being the, you know, really from the design through the, you know, the, the actual extraction of materials, the design, the packaging, distribution, the use, maintenance, you know, recycling and reuse. But now instead of going to incineration or, you know, disposal, you know, like a landfill, 
now you're really going back to recovering and recycling. So it's really going to a circle perspective. And I think this is what the power of what we're seeing in the the field today of people recognizing, you know, that when you think about designing a product, you have to think about it, not just from, you know, okay, I design it, I sell it, and then somebody else's responsibility. You start realizing I got to design it. And I also got to think about, you know, how that product's going to be used and then how that product may be disposed of or can it be disposed of and recovered or reused or some kind of a circular perspective. And so there's a lot of work going on in that. So that's what we mean by life cycle stages. So I think that's that's very critical. And the third element of LCA provides understanding of impacts over the entire life cycle is what we call the life cycle impacts. Originally, when they before the modern LCA started, we had a lot of in engineering, mass balance work that was energy balance work that was being done. Uh, leaders in Sweden and Switzerland and UK and the US were involved with all of that. And what they had done was really more of a inventory analysis, how much energy was used and it was input and output from, from an energy or mass you know, perspective. But then when we had the first workshop sponsored by the Society of Environmental Toxicology and Chemistry in 1990, which I chaired, we ended up getting to the point where there was more than just mass balance and energy balance and things like this. There was inputs and outputs from releases into air, water, and land. And since Society of Environmental Toxicology and Chemistry, CTAC, was an environmental risk assessment group, they realized that we just can't keep it a, a sort of an environmental engineering mass balance energy tool, but we really have to look at it in broader Impact. So in the 1990 workshop, we added life cycle impact assessment. And that became a, a sort of a foundation for the whole LCA methodology. So you're looking at energy, sure. You're looking at water, you're looking at toxicity. You look at things like acid rain or eutrophication, sort of nutrient loadings in, in, in the streams and in the, in the rivers. And that became a, now we've got 30 years of folks working in life cycle impact assessment, developing good methodologies, and it's very well accepted as a, a key part of the whole LCA you know, methodology. The other part of the summer of 1990, when we did the workshop on LCA, it sort of put a stake in the ground on what is modern day LCA. We added actually a third component. You had sort of inventory analysis. Okay, this is the, you know, what's being used and how much and where. Then you had impact assessment, sort of the so what of those materials use and emissions. But then there was a group of folks within the, the workshop representing the NGO community, nonprofit organizations, uh, very, very leading people in Europe and North America. And they went out for dinner one night and they basically came back and said, you know, we can't just have it an assessment tool. You know, we want to have the ability to evaluate the impacts of a of a product from cradle to cradle to cradle to grave. And we know where the hotspots and we make improvement. So the third phase that was added was actually improvement assessment. So you had inventory and you had impact assessment and you had improvement assessment. And that was foundational, you know, to going forward. So when we talk about LCA, that's what we're talking about. It's you know, the impacts and over the entire, entire life cycle. Thanks for sharing that, Jim question I have is, if you think about 
a company's got their innovation portfolio, number of products. We don't just, most companies have more than one product. And let's say they've done LCA analysis, you know, the life cycle analysis on each of the products. But they're, how, how would you see that from a portfolio standpoint where I could say, okay, this product versus that product or in, in lump sum, this type of, this segment of our business versus this other segment. So perhaps I have, you know, I make paints and then I make lubricants and they may have different, yeah, the products in there have, let's say I've done the LCA around them, but now I want to sort of look at my business at a higher level. Uh, how, how do you see that coming together? Excellent question, Paul. And I think a lot of the earlier LCA work was done on, okay, I've I got hundreds of thousands of products and I pick one because I've got a competitor doing something similar. I got to sort of defend myself uh, perspective. But there were companies, ones that you know as well, like BSF, and they have developed what's called a uh, sustainable solution steering, uh, which is our portfolio assessment technique. And I, I love the, the story. I was part of the their executive team stakeholder advisory council for three or four years. And we met, you know, a couple of times on conference calls and, you know, one time for a day and a half and met with the CEO and all his direct reports. And so we had a day and a half with them sharing information. And then one of the things they wanted us to look at was this sustainable solution steering portfolio analysis. And what they ended up doing, and they looked, they used lifecycle information as part of it, and um, they use life cycle costing. They had a tool called eco-efficiency tool. It, was, um, it had an LCA on environmental impact on one side and a, an economic impact on the other, and they called it an eco-efficiency tool. Very effective and very, very well received within the, you know, within the company. But then they also looked at customer expectations. They looked at regulations. They looked at, I think they had eight different attributes that they would do. And they went in uh, and they scored every every product um, and were able to get to the point where they put them into four buckets. They put them into the accelerator bucket, which were ones that were clearly an environmental and sustainability preferred you know, uh, situation for those eight criteria. And were the ones that were well, you know, in a growth manner with them, what the customer was looking for. And they had ones that sort of in the, in the middle. And they had the fourth category was, I think, a transition category. I forgot the exact name of it. But it was one, basically, ones that were a problem. And for those, they decided, okay, we're going to work to either fix or get rid of. So I think that became, Paul, a good example of how life cycle information uh, was essential, but not sufficient, you know, in terms, which is our, our, the last, you know, sort of golden rule that we wanted to sort of bring, you know, bring up. But, but also what happened, what, from a BSF's perspective, that methodology then became input into the World Business Council's portfolio assessment methodology. And so because of uh, BSF, wonderful leadership company, decided that they wanted to make that available, not just for their own industry I mean, for their own company, but make it available for the for the, the industry in general. And they was very active in putting together a World Business Council portfolios assessment methodology. And we've had a number of other clients who have now applied that methodology to their own work. And so to me, I think that was this perfect example 
that allows companies to really look at what their core police want to strategically do from an environmental sustainability standpoint, but also get to the point where how do you look at it in, across the entire you know, portfolio? Right, right. Great example. Thanks for sharing. So we touched on that next golden rule. Let's go into it. Yeah. So the, the next golden rule is what we call life cycle information is essential, uh, but not sufficient. This is some work that we had done. I'll use this as an example. We had done with a, a company association called the Association of Home Appliance Manufacturers. And so it was a U.S. company, but they wanted to get to the point where they were using that point for their appliances, the energy stars. They were just looking at energy as a way of looking at how green the appliance was. But they also had some of their customers, not the consumer, but the customers like the big box stores that they would, would sell to, really wanted to at the same time to get to the point where they would to look at the other impacts. Because you had other impacts associated with the appliance. You got the materials of concern that went into you know, some of the gray blacklist. You also had what happens at the end of, end of life. You also had some manufacturing uh, concerns. And so what we ended up doing was using life cycle information, but there were other scientific studies. Uh, there were standards that they had to meet, you know, they had to meet the Energy Star. And there were, you know, a lot of experts from industry and product experts that we needed to take into account. So they wanted to really look at the environmental, technical, and, and sustainability considerations when they developed sort of what the next generation of appliances should you know, should look look at. So based on the work we did with a multi-stakeholder technical group, which is made up of the companies, both the suppliers as well as the, the appliance companies, and came up with a, what I would call a product sustainability standard uh, that was then accepted. But a key part of that, which I think really is critical to a lot of the sustainability work Paul we're doing now, touches on uh, making sure that we had the right stakeholders' interest early and throughout. And what happened in that part of it was that we ended up getting to the point where at the very beginning, we sort of did the hotspot analysis. We did using LCA data, you know, existing standards and all that, and laid out what we thought were the multiple impacts that we needed to set limits on to what the next generation of appliances would look like from a sustainability standpoint. And then we got people like some of the other NGOs out there. And then we ended up getting to the point to have the EPA and the, their, their customers and just a broader group of university folks, you know, together and got to the point where they reviewed what we we're going to do and provided us input, which is very valuable. Then they got to the point where once we got sort of a draft, they provided us input. And then we had sort of the final, they gave us another set of input. And so it was a very useful process. So we get both the technical scientific involvement right at the beginning, and you had stakeholder, key stakeholders involved early and throughout the whole process. And it became very effective to develop this product, you know, sustainability standard. It's a good example of, of, of cooperation at all the different levels, like the fact that the, you know, had the, 
the uh, regulatory, the government aspect. That's that's just that just brings so much more credence to it, and you get you get some more so many more people behind it. So that was a great example to share. Thanks for sharing that. The other thing that I wanted to sort of bring out here is that a lot of what has made LCA credible has been that we went through a solid science scientific process um, early on through the Society of Environmental Toxicology and Chemistry that provided a you know excellent technical scientific foundation. But for it for a technique to be a, sort of used on a you know on a broader you know perspective. We needed to really get it to the point where it was um, accepted by, you know, around the world. And so we ended up introducing in the International Organization for Standardization, ISO, uh, part of their TC207 work that was starting in the early 90s and Subcommittee 5, you know, LCA standard. So for, you know, 1993 to 2000, you know, the LCA, the original LCA standards were, were established, which said it was every country who was part of ISO had a right to review, provide comments, and really provided ensured that there was credibility in how the LCA was done. And there was a checks and balances. So if you want to make a statement and make a claim that my product is better than your product in the marketplace, which was called a comparative assertion, it had to go through a third-party critical review. Uh, so there was a lot of checks and balances in there, which I think has really provided a solid foundation to further solidify, you know, what LCA is and its and its credibility. But that was not that was here again essential, but not sufficient. Uh, we also needed to really build the understanding of LCA beyond sort of the leading companies and you know leading countries, and really understand it globally in you know, developing countries and around the world. And so as part of my sort of role in the CTAC, I partnered with some folks from Europe and we worked with the United Nations Environmental Program and we started and created and in 2002, I guess it was, the United Nations Environmental Program CTAC Lifecycle Initiative, which is really probably the number one global organization to really bring the attention of what life cycle is, uh, why it's important, and how it's being used within businesses, but also in the in companies and within countries and smaller companies around the world. So I think that's been a very sort of powerful way of continuing to go from the science technical to the international standard now to the global UNEP, uh, you know, the UN world, and then coming out of that, you have life cycle. Networks, you know, I helped co-founded the Forum Sustainability Through Lifecycle Innovation in Berlin, which is really meant to representing the lifecycle community globally. But there's ones in in Australia, there's one in New Zealand, there's in Sweden, UK. They're all over the you know the world, you know, in America, kind of thing. So I think that just created an opportunity to really add credibility to to LCA as well as in and demonstrating how it's been used positively you know, to make and inform decisions. You must sit back in your armchair or, you know, wherever you relax and look back, <laughs> really know that you accomplished something. I'm sure there were, there were your moments along the way where I had your doubts, but, but really, I mean, it's, it's, 
it's quite an accomplishment of, I know, just not yourself, but a lot of people. But you were there, you were part of it, and that must really bring a lot of satisfaction to you. Yeah, and I think, Paul, that's, I appreciate that point. I, I go back and I, I think I shared with this early, but I'm not sure on the podcast, is that when I reflected on my career and when I retired at the end of 2022, I, I sort of had perspective and I shared with a lot of people for feedback. And one of the things that really came out of it that I felt really good about was the number one thing that I'm most proud of is, is the friends, the colleagues, the relationships I built globally. You know, before I got into the LCA, I was into sort of environmental issues that were very U.S. centric and even state specific, watershed specific. And then all of a sudden thrown into this life cycle assessment activity. And I was now traveling all over the world every six months, you know, for eight or nine years, we would go somewhere around the world writing, helping to write the the, the ISO LCA standards. Uh, but then with UNEP CTAC, the same thing, you know, sort of happening. And then with my consulting practice, Five Wins, and then, you know, just this, the series of companies I was with since then are all global international. And so we have projects in Australia or New Zealand, and we spend a week working on a client with projects. And then my wife comes along and we spend a one, two, three weeks taking trains or driving around whatever the country and seeing all the people. So the number one thing I feel most proud of is that I've got colleagues and friends all over the world. And that's just always fun to, to be able to run into them and they come visit here and we come visit there. So very, very satisfying. Yeah, very rewarding for all the work, the hard work that was done. Well, Jim, we covered a lot of ground. I sure appreciate it. Anything you think we missed at this stage? Because we're going to talk some more. We've got more to cover, more golden rules and, and more things to talk about. But we miss anything today? You know, since a lot of your listeners coming from the sort of the innovation stage and life cycle assessment can sometimes be overwhelming uh, with the the data collection and, and things like that. And there are companies out there, you know, a number of them who are developing simplified systems that you can do studies very, very quickly and, you know, 80, 20 kind of role for many, many times that's more than sufficient. And so there's a lot of that happening, but I, I really, really feel that everybody in their innovation role should have a sort of a, a life cycle thinking perspective. You should always think life cycle thinking. You should think about it from a life cycle mapping perspective. You know, where does the suppliers, you know, come from and, you know, what's happening in their countries or their, you know, their operations and what about the transportation and the manufacturing and the use and more, most critically, the end of life. I mean, we, we've had this situation in the past that as a designer, well, I'm designing it for use by my customer and then it's their fault or the consumers, you know, our government's responsibility to deal with it after, you know, I sell it. But I think the innovation stage now needs to take into account what may be happening from an impact standpoint, which you now understand from a life cycle thinking perspective, that at 25 years, that solar panel or that, you know, battery may be at its useful end of its useful life. What happens? You know, so you need to begin to design right into the innovation process. Who are the stakeholders that are going to have to be dealing with that at the end of life? And then how do you collaborate with them to make sure that the, the infrastructure is there 
to be able to recover those materials or to recycle or to reuse whatever the right end of life, you know, solutions are. So life cycle thinking is a must. Life cycle assessment is used where it makes sense to do so. Yeah, very good. Very great summary and nice way to roll it up, Jim. Well, thanks for joining us. And Jim, we'll have another chat soon, I think. Help our listeners just continue to, to learn the advantages of it. Good to talk to you, Jim, and we'll talk to you again soon, right? Sounds good, Paul. Thanks a lot. Porta Vida. Porta Vida. Thanks for joining <laughs> us. I hope you enjoyed that. It's really great to to, to hear from Jim. And, and uh, as, as we just said, he'll be back for more. So stay tuned. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.